Hello, they walk among us listeners. We are taking a break this week, but stay tuned because if you're missing your weekly fix of the show, check out our companion podcast, They Walk Among America. Hosted by Nina Instead, it provides a unique and in-depth account of some of the most puzzling and polarising cases from the United States. Or if you really can't wait to hear our next episode, you can subscribe to They Walk Among Us Plus and listen early and ad-free through Patreon or Apple Podcasts. We've kept the monthly costs low, roughly the price of a cup of coffee on the high street. To find out more, head to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us or search for They Walk Among Us on Apple Podcasts. Now here's a recent episode of They Walk Among America. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America. Colorado Springs is the second most populated city in the state of Colorado. Located just east of the Rocky Mountains, the city encompasses both the urban features of a bustling metropolis and the quiet peacefulness found at the foot of Pikes Peak. Weather in the area varies greatly with cold and snowy winters and warm, dry summers. Despite low rainfall for most of the year, Colorado Springs is prone to storms and has one of the most instances of lightning strikes in the United States. Colorado Springs has a predominantly military-driven economy, and many military families live in the suburbs outside the city. Compared to the state's largest city, Denver, Colorado Springs has a 33% lower crime rate and is generally considered a safe place to live. But the disappearance of one child in early 2020 tragically illustrated that sometimes danger is closer than anyone could imagine. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina Instead, and welcome to Episode 74 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law & Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. This is part one of a two-part case. Episode 75 will be available next week. just before 7 p.m. on January 27, 2020, the sun had set over Colorado Springs and a light rain was falling. 911 dispatchers in El Paso County received a call from a woman named Letitia Stouck. She said her stepson hadn't arrived home at 6 o'clock as he was supposed to and wasn't sure if she should call the non-emergency line instead. Letitia explained that 11-year-old Gannon had left the family home a few hours earlier that evening and told her he was going to a friend's house. But when he had not returned home when he said he would, she began to worry. After contacting his friends in the neighborhood, she learned that no one had seen Gannon. Can I ask her to see him? Uh, I guess me? Yeah. 
Patrol officers from the El Paso Sheriff's Office arrived at the 2,500-square-foot ranch-style family home on Mandan Drive shortly after 10 o'clock that night. The lights were on in the gray and stone front house. As deputies interviewed Letitia, another officer began searching the residence for Gannon. They walked through the four-bedroom property, including Gannon's room, which was one of two bedrooms in the basement. They looked for anywhere he might be hiding, but found no sign of the young boy and nothing to indicate foul play. Letitia told investigators that Gannon had been off school sick that day with stomach trouble, and she had stayed home from work to be with him. She said they had gone to Petco earlier in the day and spent some time trying to repair a piece of carpet that had been damaged the night before, when Gannon knocked over a candle. Gannon had left the house with his Nintendo Switch around 3.15 p.m., just before his younger sister, Lena, arrived home from school, and he had agreed to return by 6 p.m. Letitia told the officers that she had tried to find Gannon at neighboring houses and asked her 17-year-old daughter, Harley, to look for him at a nearby park, but there was no sign of him anywhere. Letitia also said she believed Gannon was with someone he knew as he had made an internet search for the term, can my parents find me if my phone is off? As a result, Gannon was listed as an active runaway. Gannon Stuck was born four months premature in Horry County, South Carolina on September 29, 2008. He weighed just one and a half pounds at birth. His parents, Landon and Al, had to wait for a month just to be able to hold him. Gannon was given a 10% chance of survival, and his parents were warned that he could have profound disabilities if he lived. Just over 11 years later, Gannon had beaten the odds and was thriving in fifth grade at Grand Mountain School in Colorado Springs, where he lived with his father, Al, stepmother, Letitia, stepsister, Harley, and eight-year-old sister, Lena. Gannon was a happy kid who loved gaming, Sonic the Hedgehog, and being a big brother to Lena, who called him Bubba. He had dreams of becoming a YouTuber when he was older, and he got on well with his parents and stepmom. Al and Landon had separated years earlier, and in 2015, Al had married Letitia, who was also from South Carolina. Al had worked for the National Guard as part of the Missile Defense Brigade for years. After being stationed in Alaska for some time, he transferred to Colorado in 2019. Al and Landon shared custody of their children. Gannon and Lena would travel to South Carolina to visit their mom often, as well as speak with her every day. Letitia worked as a teacher at the French Elementary School in Colorado Springs, before beginning a new position at the Mountain Ridge Middle School in January 2020. On January 25, 2020, Al left home to travel to Oklahoma for two weeks of training, so Letitia spent the weekend with her stepchildren. The following day, Letitia, Gannon, Lena, and Harley went hiking at the Garden of the Gods, a popular scenic area with stunning views of Pikes Peak, and rural Colorado. Letitia told Al that Gannon still wasn't feeling well that night, and she was going to give an excuse at work so she could stay home with him. She texted her employer at around 4.30 a.m. and said she would not be able to come to work 
as her stepfather had been hit by a car and killed. By the late evening of Monday, January 27th, Gannon was missing. As searches began, Gannon's father, Al, and his mother, Landon, flew into Colorado to join the effort to find their son. Gannon was reported as being four foot, nine inches tall, with brown hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a blue jacket, blue jeans, and sneakers. Within 24 hours, an appeal was issued to the media by the El Paso Sheriff's Department Sergeant Deborah Minot. Sergeant Minot told the Gazette, That's really our only concern, that he's so young. It's cold outside. It's going to start getting late here soon. We want to find him, get him home, and put him in a safe environment. By Wednesday, January 29th, hundreds of volunteers had begun searching vacant fields and areas close to Gannon's neighborhood. A prayer vigil was organized to support Gannon's family, and blue ribbons were tied throughout the neighborhood in hopes they would guide Gannon home. Hundreds gathered in the Restoration Church on Peaceful Valley Road for the vigil that night to pray for Gannon and his family. On Thursday, January 30th, Gannon's parents made a heartbreaking appeal during a press conference. I'm Landon Hyatt, Gannon's mom, and I encourage you guys, I know many of you mothers and fathers, I encourage you just to seek, find him. I'm so thankful for all the outpouring help that this case has brought. My son is a very loving kid. He wouldn't want harm on anybody at all. And it's so hard to just think, why is this happening to him? I have no clue, but my kid deserves to come home. My kid has a purpose. My kid has a life. And it's important to me, and it's important to everybody that's standing in this room. Gannon, Bubba, little man, mommy's hero, wherever you're at, mommy and daddy's here. We're begging and pleading for you to come home. I know that's your biggest wish, was to see mommy and daddy standing here. We're here, Bubba. We're here for you, and I can't wait till you're found, because I have hope that you are going to be found. You are my hero. You are the reason why I have life. He's so special to me. I don't think many people can understand. My child was a one pound, six ounce baby. He had a 10% chance of survival. If he survived, he would be profoundly disabled. None of that is accurate. He's gifted and talented. Do anything for anybody. So I'm begging, I'm pleading. If anybody has any type of lead, put yourself in my situation. Ask yourself, what would you do? My savior is a great savior. And I know I have hope and that my son's gonna be here. I'm thankful for the churches, the pastors, the outpouring support from this community, from Albert's military, family, everybody, the detectives. I had, it was you that was sitting at the table and you told me that 90% success rate. And you told me that I'm gonna find Gannon. I believe that. It's the first time I had hope since I got that call on Monday. I have hope. So please have hope with me. I'm begging, bring my baby home. Bubba, I love you. Mommy loves you so much. Nova loves you. Lena loves you. This room is filled with people that love you and this community loves you too. So please come home, baby. Please come home.
Yeah, I'd like to reiterate what Landon said that um, well, well, what an incredible community we have. I mean, everybody in here and, and a team, incredible team that, um, uh, yeah, I came out my front door, I think it was Tuesday and there was 300 people out there searching my neighborhood. It blew, blew me away. So, so thank you everyone. Thank you. Again, and daddy loves you so much. Please come home. During the press conference, the sheriff's office confirmed that they were upgrading the case from a runaway child case to an endangered child case. They said, This case was referred to major crimes for their ability to gather information and use great focus with their investigative training. They urged anyone with information to contact the sheriff's office investigations tip line and stated, Any information may prove valuable in solving the case and could consist of things as simple as anyone remembering suspicious vehicles or people they saw in or around the area on the date of this incident. Eleven groups were involved in the search for Gannon, including the FBI's Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Unit, El Paso County Search and Rescue, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and other police and volunteer organizations. Although the sheriff's office continued to insist foul play was not suspected, doubts began to arise around the events leading up to Gannon's disappearance. Gannon's stepmother, Letitia, had faded from the public eye as Al and Landon presented a united front during media appeals to find their son. When Letitia was interviewed by KKTV News 11 reporter Spencer Wilson on January 31st, four days after Gannon was last seen, she addressed accusations that she had disappeared from the community. Letitia said that there were a number of reasons, including the death threats from those who believed she was involved, and because her husband's ex-wife, Landon, was now living in their home. I took care of Gannon for the last two years in our home because his mother didn't want to do it. And I would never, never, ever hurt this child. And I know there's some questions out there about, okay, so tell me what happens. That's up to the investigations when they end up letting you guys know, but I've cooperated with them. Letitia insisted she had fully cooperated with investigators, and she also accused the El Paso Sheriff's Office of violating her rights by refusing to let her use the bathroom or to call a lawyer while she was being interrogated. She was asked about the rumors circulating regarding her involvement in Gannon's disappearance. Oh, oh yes. Wow. The rumors have gotten so bad. Uh, I pretty much have been told at least 10 different ways that these people have these conspiracy theories. I guess they watch a lot of law shows and maybe they have all these theories on how um, Gannon is dead. And that's what they're saying. So I'm like, why are you saying Gannon is dead? He is not dead. We are going to find Gannon. And that's the main goal that we all have. My family has just because you haven't seen us. We have that same goal. We've been out searching. My aunt has been out searching. My family has been out searching. We all have been doing that together so that we could protect each other. You know, I, I'm just ready for Gannon to come home. Most importantly for him to see his family. But second, I am going to be so ecstatic when I'm able to say to people that I hope they have a really sincere apology for all these theories that have came out online, for all the things they said that I have done or people have done. And I just want everyone to know that 
we're going to find Gannon. And I love him so much. I've helped taking care of him for so long. Letitia spoke at length about how people were making accusations and, at one point, interrupted herself to ask if she was still on camera. I hope, is, am I on camera now? You are okay, still. Okay, okay. Um, I think that a lot of people can see that I'm not missing and see that I am being cooperative. And But to me, it's okay that they think those things because my the way someone thinks about me, I don't have a problem with that. My main thing is I would never want someone to think that I would hurt Gannon or any of the children in our home. We should all come together and wait until the end and see what happens because Gannon's going to come home. At the end of the interview, where Letitia has her back to the camera, she was asked if she had a message for Gannon. The message for Gannon I have is, Gannon, when you get here, you'll be able to truly tell what happened. And then I really hope I get a sincere apology from everyone who has made all those things, especially from my husband. Letitia left Colorado with her daughter Harley, and the search efforts continued. Jacqueline Kirby with the El Paso Sheriff's Office told reporters that teams of over 150 people were searching a five-mile radius on foot and mount and razor utility vehicles. They also used drones to conduct aerial searches. As snowfall across Colorado Springs and temperatures dropped close to zero, Gannon's parents and sister Lena released another appeal through the sheriff's office. How do I describe my G-man, my Gannon? Gannon's my hero. I love him so much. He's not only my hero, he has multiple people that call him his hero as well. He has so many family members that just look up to him at such a small age. He's full of life. He's happy. He's energetic. He loves sports. He loves Sonic. He loves going outside, playing with his friends, his sister, his neighbor, especially Braden. Um, this neighborhood basically gives you a true example of who my son is. Everybody coming together. All the smiles that people have. This is why I have hope, because I feel it. This is Gannon truly speaking to our community. Gannon, is, he loves blue, he loves Sonic, he's into coding, he loves riding his bicycle with his sister, and I know that he's missing that right now. He holds his job as being Big Bubba, very important, and for him not to be able to talk to his sisters has to be hurting him. This week has been awful. It's been more than a roller coaster ride. It's been more than emotional mess. I don't even have answers for my feelings other than I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I will never hear his voice, that I will never hear him run and say, Mommy, that I'll never hear those corny jokes that he always tell every single day. He has to tell me a joke. He looks forward to telling me something silly. And I'm afraid that I may never see that again or hear it. I don't want to believe that because that means that I'm giving up hope and I'm not giving up hope because my son is full of hope. So I'm urging anyone that has any leads, credible leads, if you're too afraid because you know something, a kid just doesn't disappear and no one sees him. That's doesn't, it's not how this works. So if you have anything that's credible, if you're afraid, don't worry about it. Imagine my son, how afraid he is. Imagine how afraid Gannon is. So please call, please write. If you need to have someone else to do it for you, please do. Because my son deserves to be here. He deserves to be here. Please call the El Paso Sheriff's County. 
and let them know. And I thank you guys, the community, for what you've done, because this is Gannon. This is who he is. And I thank you guys so much. When Gannon was born, he weighed only one pound and six ounces. And even today, he's still our miracle child. He still is. And he's such a happy child. And he, he just brings life to every party. He, his smile, even today, is keeping us going. His infectious smile brings me joy every time I think about it. The past eight days have been, as Landon said, a roller coaster of emotions. Sometimes we jump in for joy because we get an information that we might think is a break in the case, and and then the next minute we get in for you know we see something or get information that just breaks our heart into a million pieces again. But through all this, just know that your thoughts and your prayers. And your messages, keep them coming because even if we don't respond, we are receiving them. And that has given us strength to get through this. And I do want to say I'm so proud of, of Lena, my little baby girl here, and of Landon, you know, my children's mother. They've been so strong through this, stronger than I would have ever thought that I, that I could have ever been. And I'm getting strength from them as well. As I said, please keep sending your thoughts and your prayers because we are receiving them. And if you have any information, any information at all that could help, please reach out to the El Paso County Sheriff's Office with only credible information, but any information that you think may help. Thank you so much. Your turn. I love you, Baba. While the crime lab techs went through Gannon's house, the family's neighbor, Roderick Drayton, looked through the footage from his home security cameras to see if there was any sign of the missing boy. His cameras captured Gannon and Letitia getting into Letitia's car on the morning of January 27th, and a few hours later, it appeared as though Letitia had returned home alone. Mr. Drayton immediately showed the footage to Gannon's father, Al, who broke down in tears when he watched it. Sheriff's Office spokeswoman Jackie Kirby said the video was just one piece in a very, very large puzzle. Letitia released a statement a week later as the search moved to North El Paso County and Southern Douglas County. She thanked the police and the community for their help and thanked her husband, Al, for his strength. Then she addressed Gannon and wrote, To Gannon, please come home soon because your daddy is waiting to watch the new Sonic movie that comes out this week. And the cool shirt I got you to wear to the theater, it's in your closet. In the statement, Letitia claimed that Gannon had gotten out of the car with her on the afternoon of the 27th, and there was evidence to corroborate that. She also said that he had cut his foot in the garage two nights before he went missing. Letitia then claimed that the sheriff's office was given a description of the person that Gannon left with. Gannon's mother, Landon, spoke with Fox 31 about how hard it was after almost a month of searching. She said, Not knowing where he's at, if he's okay, if he's cold, if he doesn't have food, that's a mom's role. I can't get to him, and you kind of feel like a failure when you can't. I'm just begging. I would do anything for my baby to come home. I need him. I need awareness. I want it everywhere. Please don't let this go away. Please keep sharing and posting because it only takes one day, one post to reach somebody that it hasn't, and it could mean bringing Gannon home. I just need him. Send my baby home. 
The search in Douglas County continued in snow-covered fields and ravines, but by the end of February, the investigators believed they knew what had happened again in Stouk. Letitia had told investigators and her husband, Al, that Gannon had stomach problems on Sunday, January 26th, and that she had found him asleep on the couch with a candle that had been knocked over, setting fire to the carpet. Letitia said she hadn't noticed that Gannon had burns on his arm at the time, and she was concerned about repairing the carpet as the house was a rental. A video was found on her phone in which she speaks with Gannon about selling items to pay for the repair, after asking him to pinky promise that he didn't do it on purpose. Gannon, I promise this is the last time I'm going to ask you. I'm just freaking out, okay? Are you sure you didn't do it on purpose? Okay, you promise. You promise. Pinky promise. Okay, all right. So, listen. Listen. We're, all right, I'm, we're going to have to sell stuff to fix it, okay? So, we figure out what we got to sell. We can sell the sofa. We can sell whatever, because we got to get it fixed so, lady, don't be mad at us and kick us out of the house. Okay? You got it? You got it? I'm just worried about my birth. Okay, shh. Listen, 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 listen. At the end of the video, Gannon can be heard crying and saying he was just worried about his burns. Letitia spoke about this in an interview with investigators on January 29th. She was supposed to arrive at the interview at 10 a.m., but did not arrive until 12 noon. During questioning, she referred to notes she had written before coming in. In her statement during the interview, Letitia described finding Gannon asleep beside a fire on the couch and carpet. She said that he seemed fine that night, although he had been worried about getting into trouble, but when she checked on him the following morning, she noticed that he had burns on his arm that were bleeding. And I realized that Gannon, he actually had like marks like on his arm and they were actually like filling at that point. And I did, I did, I swear, I did not realize that they had, I, I don't know if like they start like, because burns are sitting there. I don't know if they started like peeling like overnight or like whatever. And he has like really bad anxieties. So whenever things are pilly or like uh, things like that, he, he bites his own nails a lot anyway. Like anything that's like loose and things like that, he bites them. So I don't know if like, as I guess it burns, like, you know, burns a little bit. I'm, and when I do this, I don't mean like I'm giving you a location. I'm just saying like as in burns, like on your skin. Um, I guess when like, you know, like pull a little bit stretchy or whatever. So like on the arm, it kind of gets a little stretchy and pilly. Mm -hmm. So then I was like freaked out because I was like, I didn't know that that his arm were for like that so I'm like crying because mm -hmm. and and this is where I have to start telling you you know like I'm like very like I was scared because my thought process was Albert is going to kill me like because I made a mistake as a parent and mm -hmm. forgot to like really check him down and he really got a little bit more burned than he should have so I was freaking out because, like, it's gonna kill. And Gannon's like, it's okay. Like, it, there was blood. And, like, he had on his arm, and as it was peeling, I should have called. Where did they have blood I should have called the hospital and just asked, you know, I don't know enough about burn, but I should have called the hospital and just asked, like, I made a mistake. I did. 
I swear to y'all, I didn't know they were that bad. I did it all. So I feel horrible. Here I am. I know it's not, you know, about me, but as a person, I was feeling horrible that I didn't, I didn't call Albert to say, you know, they're like this. So I told him, I said, okay, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put some like aloe on your arms, you know, and things like that. And I was like, it's going to be okay. We're going to fix it. We're going to, you know, and all I kept thinking about was we're going to fix it. And I don't know in my mind how I was going to fix it. As far as the, he, he, he wasn't in pain. He wasn't saying like, I'm hurting or, or anything like that. He was more of like peeling it. Like, you know, like it was like, it was like a boy. Am I saying the right word? Boy, like blister? Blister. Like he was pulling a blister, you know? Okay. Um, so there was blood. And, and then, so I'm like holding him and I had blood on me. When, and I say, when I say blood, let me explain to you. I don't mean like dripping out or never in blood. So let me not like give you that okay. thought process. But sometimes when I say like, if I say flames to me, I'm like, this is a big flame, you know? There was there there was blood, so I was just so like like a freak out. So I was like, "We'll just clean it up. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll figure it out." Where's the blood at? So the blood was on his arms, on his like a uh, sheet that he had, which we 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 washed the sheet. Um, so it was on his sheet. It was on his arms, and he had some on like like his arms had I guess from like sleeping or whatever. He had some on the wall. So we. Like we cleaned up everything. We I put a new I put like garnish the am I saying our garnish the like the wrap thing but a wrap thing I was like we'll check it with the aloe and see if it if it gets better. Letitia described how she had met a man called Eduardo at a construction site in the neighborhood after Gannon had knocked over the candle and asked him if he could repair the carpet. He said that he could, so she gave him the code to enter the garage to fix it the following day while she was out shopping with Gannon. Letitia told the investigators that she and Gannon had gone to Petco, and because Gannon was still feeling unwell, he stayed in the truck. She said they returned to the house around 2.30 p.m. and she entered the basement. Letitia then claimed that she was attacked in Gannon's bedroom by Eduardo, who was holding a gun and attempting to rape her. From there on, was like in a blur. I was trying so hard because... Gannon had a table in his room, and I, like, I went back and hit my head on it, like, with him. Gannon runs inside the room mm-hmm. and, like, tries to, like, you know, be helpful, do something, whatever. And from there, it was kind of like a blur, everything else that was going on. Because I was just, like, crying and I was freaking out. And I swear to God, I don't know what. I really don't know. I don't. Okay. I don't. And I'm just like in the moment thinking, like memories of like wow, you know, like the thing was open. He had the gun. I, I didn't remember what happened there, and so I kind of like blacked out just a little bit. And, and and so all these things are going into my mind as I'm blacked out. I don't know if like I know he was like when Dana was like trying to get on him. I know he was like moving Gannon, and you know, like and, and it was just all like so like a cycle to me, and so. I'm like out of it for a little bit, just for a little bit. And then from the, from when the time I woke up, I say woke up, but like I kind of like that a little bit. And I, I immediately like freaked out. I was like, I, could, I, I was like, I, could, I couldn't find Gannon. Mm-hmm. It was like the guy was still in the house. Lena was on the way. I didn't know where Gannon was at because I was calling for Gannon. I thought he was hiding. Like I, I legit okay. thought he was hiding in like maybe the other closet that was on the other side. The other, you know, whatever. I thought he was fighting. Like, I was so scared. 
Letitia explained that Eduardo only allowed her to go upstairs when her stepdaughter Lena arrived home from school, so she could tell her to go outside and play on her bike because Gannon was sleeping. Letitia claimed that she was then raped by Eduardo, and during the attack, Gannon had jumped on Eduardo's back and Eduardo had thrown Gannon across the room. She claimed that after the rape, Eduardo held a gun to Gannon's head and ordered her to give him a suitcase. Letitia then described being hit on the head before she blacked out. When she woke up, Gannon was gone. Letitia said that she had cleaned up the scene of the supposed sexual assault and struggle as well as Gannon's bedroom because she did not know what to do. Toward the end of the interview, Letitia told the investigators that she was feeling unwell and that she had chest pain and shortness of breath. She was taken to hospital where medical staff found nothing wrong. When asked to consent to a sexual assault examination, Letitia refused and eventually left the hospital. Her phone and vehicle were seized after the interview, and investigators began analyzing them for any evidence. Letitia's Volkswagen SUV was wet when she arrived at the police station, and the investigators found out that she was late for the interview because she was at a car wash. When the car was tested for the presence of blood, areas at the rear of the vehicle reacted positively. Colorado Springs Metro Crime Lab had conducted a search of the family home on January 28th with Elle's permission. They found traces of blood in Gannon's bedroom, along the hallway to the utility room, inside the utility room, on the staircase leading out of the basement, and along the hallway to the garage. They also found blood inside the garage in a location consistent with where the rear end of Letitia's vehicle was parked when officers first responded to the call about Gannon being missing. Gannon's mattress was soaked with blood, and when the investigators moved his bed, they found a pool of blood that had seeped through the mattress and then through the carpet beneath, staining the concrete. Over 50 blood droplets were found on the wall next to the bed, and there was evidence that someone had tried to clean it up. The carpet above the blood-stained concrete was clean, and in the dishwasher they found a scrubbing brush with carpet fibers. When investigators went through Letitia's messages, they found a text she had sent to her daughter Harley just before 5 p.m. on January 27th, asking her to buy carpet cleaner, trash bags, and baking soda. Letitia had sent Al a photograph of Gannon sleeping in his bed that morning, but when investigators looked in Gannon's room that night, his bed covers had been changed, and the sheets seen in the photo were missing. DNA tests confirmed that Gannon's blood was found throughout the house and on Letitia's shoes. Investigators also found a gun in the house with Letitia's DNA on it. As they continued to look into the case, Al Stock became increasingly suspicious of his wife. To hear the remainder of this episode and the concluding installment, search for They Walk Among America on your favourite podcast player under the episodes titled Pinky Promise Part 1 and 2. As always, thank you for listening. They Walk Among Us will be back next week.